Good morning. So we're in this series called How You Doing? And Business Weekly did a survey a while back where they asked that question. Of course, they didn't have the Southern How You Doing on it. They, How Are You Doing? And it was really interesting. They wanted to find out what the number one reply would be. So once you've got past, you know, kind of the pat answer of, you know, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm okay, that kind of thing. The number one answer was this. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. Or another way we say that sometimes is we say it this way. I'm busy. You know, I'm like slammed. I'm buried. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Or sometimes we even say, you ask somebody how they're doing and they look at you and they go, don't even ask. Like, I'm so busy. I'm so worn out. I don't even have time to answer the question. So we live in this world where oftentimes we're just really tired and we're just worn out. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to kind of gauge how tired and how worn out you are. And instead of just asking you if you're tired and everybody raise your hand, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to make some statements or questions and then I want you to just raise your hand. We need to have complete transparency this morning. So when I make these statements or questions, you just raise your hand if it fits you. Question number one, I've cut through gas stations to avoid stopping at red lights. Just stick your hand up. I, we, I think we only have one police officer here this morning. He's in the other service, so you're okay. So, all right, second question. I often switch lines because I think the line that I am in is slow. Yeah, my hand's not up to show you what to do. My hand is up because I am right there with you. Number three, I don't like to take vacations where there's not something to do. Like you have to stay busy on your vacation. Just, just slip that hand up there. Okay, yeah, 40% thereabouts. Fourth one, I frequently look at my phone because I have to be doing something. Like, you're just constantly, like, you have no reason, no apparent reason, but you're looking at your phone anyway. Number five, people who talk slow irritate me. Okay, yeah, like, just spit it out, okay? Just, just tell us what's on your mind. All right, number six, I believe God makes whatever line I'm in the slowest. Like, I don't know a lot about God, but I know he does that to me. Like, that, that would be you, okay? When I go to sleep, my mind starts rehearsing as I'm trying to go to sleep. All the things I didn't get done today and all the things that I need to get done tomorrow. It's like, man, that is like totally, definitely me. Number eight, I have difficulty making time for things like paying my bills and keeping my dentist appointments and my doctor's appointments and those kinds of things. Oh, now people are getting bashful. They don't want to admit stuff. All right, a few of you. All right, last one. I can feel compelled to leave church during the commitment time to beat everybody to the restaurant. You don't have to raise your hand. We know who you are. God knows who you are. So you, you don't have to raise your hand. So this morning, we're going to talk about being busy, being tired more specifically, and just tired. 
And we've been kind of addressing our emotions and, and specifically how we deal with those emotions in a biblically and spiritually mature way. And I understand that when I talk about being tired or exhausted or, or worn out, that that's not really an emotion. But here's what we know. Study after study after study tells us that when you're tired all the time, you're worn out all the time, you're just kind of at your wit's end, so to speak, that, that the busier and the more tired you are, the more likely you are to experience depression and anxiety and ir irritability. Like, like being tired is just kind of like a gateway to making all those other emotions worse. So in this series, we've, we've been kind of going through the Psalms. And David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and we've been looking at the one specifically that he's wrote, that he wrote. And he was like a great king and a fantastic warrior. But one of the things we've noticed is this. He's not afraid to show his emotions. He, he's a very emotional guy. And we've also noticed that, that David is, he doesn't like give us this prescription, like here are the five things you need to do if you're tired, like do these five things and you won't be tired anymore. We've noticed over and over it's more emotive rather than prescription. Like, like, here's my journey. Just jump in here with me on my journey and, and look at how, you know, I kind of go through life. And so today we're going to land in another psalm. And it is probably in the Old Testament, the psalm that is, is probably the most well-known biblical passage, maybe in all of Scripture. It's on people's walls in their homes. You walk into businesses, it's on the wall. You walk into hospitals, it's there. People who are not even Christians are familiar with the words of Psalms chapter 23. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. And we're not going to look at the entire passage. We're mostly going to focus on about the first two or three verses because that kind of unlocks the rest of the passage. So here's what David says, Psalm chapter 23. I'm reading from the King James this morning. I think a lot of us kind of grew up with that, and there's a, a certain beauty and a certain majesty to Psalms chapter 23 when you look at it in the King James. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want us all to take a big, deep breath. And then I want you to read it with me. So big, deep breath. The Lord is my shepherd. Read it with me. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths righteousness you know this this concept this imagery here that he gives of a sheep and a shepherd would have been something that was very commonplace to this agricultural society that would have existed at this particular point in israel's history been very familiar so david says and we're just going to kind of look at different phrases this morning the lord is my shepherd so if the Lord is David's shepherd, what does that make David? 
a sheep. Thank you. It makes him a sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, because he's also calling us sheep. That doesn't seem very complimentary to be called a sheep. I mean, let's just be honest. Sheep are kind of dumb animals. We used to have that camp I used to work at. We had one sheep, and that was the, the, the dumbest animal. I mean, I would much rather be called, you know, God called me a mountain lion or a grizzly bear or something. I mean, being called a sheep, like sheep are not like flattering kind of creatures. But here's the significance of being called a sheep. They are completely dependent on the shepherd. And one of the reasons that we struggle with this rhythm of rest that we're going to talk about today is that in our lives we get this relationship confused. We try to live like we're the shepherd instead of the sheep. Which brings me to my first point this morning. Trying to live like you are in charge will eventually wear you out. When you try to live, and this is like so many of us try to live, like, like it all depends on me, and I have to make it happen, and I have to protect myself, and I have to provide for myself. And when I think that I have to be the shepherd instead of the sheep, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on me. It puts a tremendous amount of weight on me that I was never intended to carry. So David starts off by saying, I'm the sheep, not the shepherd. And by saying that you're the sheep, you are humbling yourself and you're saying, God, I'm dependent on you. I'm going to trust in you. I need you. And so in this series, you know, we've been looking at different vehicles. And I'm, I know a lot of you have kind of enjoyed that. You know, what vehicle is he going to talk about this week? And we've been talking about these different vehicles because we said emotions are like a vehicle in a way. Because, you know, it's like you get to a fork in the road and you can kind of determine where your emotion will take you. You can either let an emotion take you closer to God or you can let it take you further away from God. Like one week we talked about shame and we said we, it can either take you away from God to a place of isolation or you can let shame bring you closer to God to a place of, of freedom and forgiveness. And we've kind of looked at like that at each of the different emotions that we've been talking about. So, you know, emotions, there's, there's not a right and wrong about an emotion. It's just what we do with it. And God's desire is that we let that emotion bring us closer to Him. So I've looked, talked to you about all kinds of vehicles that I've had in the past. The, the Pinto and the Firebird and the Ford Fairmont of Shame and, you know, several other cars. You know, all the minivans and, and that kind of thing. And uh, so this week, the one that came to mind was a 1994 Ford Taurus. This was actually, that's a picture very similar to her car. It was my daughter's car, Bonnie. But of course, I had the title until she, she turned 18. And uh, she drove that through high school, and then she took it with her to her freshman year of college. And, and, and it, was, it was great transportation for her. And one autumn night, probably a little bit earlier than, probably October, about 9.30 at night, I get a call from my daughter, Bonnie. And... She says, you know, there, there was a little bit of panic in her voice. And she tells me that, you know, she was singing with this group, this college group that where she was going to college, and they had gone to sing in a church in Kennesaw. 
and she was coming back home that night on Highway 411, and she had drove separately because she said, Dad, I just have a ton of homework, and I don't have to, you know, I just can't stay after, and I've got an early morning soccer practice, and, and so she, had been, she was driving separately. And she's somewhere on Highway 411 between Kennesaw and Rome, and she tells me, she said, Dad, my temperature light is on, and I don't know what to do. I said, well, Bonnie, you need to pull over, you need to turn off the car, and you need to call 911, an officer will come out, he'll help you get a record and stuff, but you, but you need to turn the car off. But Dad, I've got all kinds of homework, I've got to get back to the school. And, and it's dark out here, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I said, Bonnie, you've got to pull the car over. It's going to overheat. You're going to have all kinds. No, no, I can't do that. And we have this little conversation for a few minutes. And finally, she said she'll call me when she gets to the dorm. It didn't take that long. <laughs> if you've ever wondered how long it takes a Ford Taurus to overheat, it's about three minutes. Because that's about how long it took to call me. She called me back. Dad, there's steam coming out of the hood. There's steam all inside the, the passenger compartment. I said, you're going to have to call 911, and they're going to have to get a record. And the car had overheated. It cracked ahead. It cost $1,600 to fix it. It wasn't a convenient time to stop. But if she would have stopped driving, it would have cost a whole lot less to get it fixed. It was actually a heater hose that caused it all. And it would have been a whole lot less time-consuming than being without a car for about a month. And I think there's a sense in which we all violate the manufacturer's instructions and, and maybe we get away with it for a little while. Like, yeah, everybody else should do it, but it's just not a good time for me right now. I have things to do. I'm going to keep driving and driving. But when you look at Scripture, what you find is that God has given us this rhythm for life because He is the manufacturer and He gives us some instructions on how we're to take care of our bodies and our souls and our relationships. And part of this is having a rhythm of rest. And that allows us to reconnect with God and it allows to reconnect with the important people in our life and it replenishes us. Which brings me to my second point this morning. You are created for a rhythm of life that involves rest. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The beginning of time. And you see a rhythm of rest. You see God when he's creating the earth. And there's two lines that kind of pop up over and over. And it's like there's a rhythm to them. And it says, over and over, God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning. And he goes through the different days like that. And so there's just this rhythm to it. And then you get right up to the beginning of chapter 2, and in verse 3, this is what it says. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So on the seventh day... He rests. Then you go to Exodus, very next book. He gives the Ten Commandments. And what's he put in there? You need to have a day of Sabbath. You need to have a rest day. Why? Because he's the manufacturer. 
and he knows what we need and he knows how we work and he knows what's best for us and it requires this rhythm this weekly rhythm had a sabbath to it where they would rest from their work and then a little bit later you read about different things that 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 happened like they had celebrations and they had feasts and things like that where there was rest. What did they do on the Sabbath? Nothing. It wasn't about doing. It was about being. And so there was just these rhythms that God has established and they're still relevant for today. You know, I've told most of you that I am rhythmically challenged. You've probably heard me say that before. I mean, I have no rhythm whatsoever. Like maybe you hear our worship leaders sometimes, they're like, okay, clap with the song. And maybe you look over at me standing over here and you're like, well, why is the pastor not clapping? I mean, what a stick in the mud he is. What a lousy example he is. There's a reason for that. I have no rhythm. Like when everybody else's hands are here, mine are here. And when everybody else's hands are here, mine are here. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, my kids make fun of me all the time. My, my wife makes fun of me. I have absolutely no rhythm. And you know, there's things that, that happen in a man's life just occasionally where you need to have rhythm. And I can think of only really like, like just a couple things that you just, just, just happens to every man. One is when you get married and you have to do that dance thing. And fortunately, I was able to kind of miss that because we didn't have that at our, our particular wedding. But then if you have daughters, like there's also, like you're going to have to do that father-daughter dance thing, right? And like there, there are no amount of YouTube videos that I can watch about how to dance that's going to help me. Like it's just not. And so fortunately, when my first daughter, Bonnie, got married, it was, it was an outdoor wedding in October and it, up in the mountains, and it was so cold that we threw a bunch of stuff out, and that was one of them. So I, so I, I, I escaped it. But I got another daughter. And this, this pops into my mind sometimes, like, like eventually Haley's probably going to get married, and then there's going to be this father-daughter dance, and what am I going to do? So I've, I've, you know, I've been trying to think of things I could do. Like, like number one, maybe I could, like, like I could tell the DJ, like, like five seconds after Bonnie and I start, invite all the other fathers and daughters out there. Like it'll look like I'm just being humble and that kind of thing, but really it's like so nobody will be able to see me and everybody will see all the other dads that are rhythmically challenged too and nobody will notice me. And then if that doesn't work, there's always the, you know, fake the injury. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey, I'd really like to, but you know, I sprained the knee yesterday carrying your cake or something, you know, something like that, 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 that kind of idea. But as I was thinking about that, I think this is what happens to a lot of us in our lives. We don't have much rhythm, but we just get lost in the crowd of people who don't have much rhythm. Because our whole culture doesn't have a rhythm of rest. We, we just live in that world. And so nobody seems to notice. We don't even realize it ourselves because everybody else is living at the same pace and we're just doing what everybody else does. We don't have evenings at home in the family. We don't, we don't have sit-down meals. Nobody else does either. And we don't have the time to go to church, but maybe one week in a month we've got activities and our kids are doing things, but everybody else is the same way. We just don't have time. Nobody else does it either. And we just kind of lose it in the crowd, so to speak. 
And I think that's what a lot of us do. You know, Friday is, is, is my day off, and, and, and I really fight hard to keep that day, but, but it's just hard. Ministry doesn't always fit a time schedule, and so many times, you know, there, there, there's a hospital visit that has to be made on Friday, or, or there, there's a funeral, or a death, or a meeting that just can't wait, and, and so sometimes there, there, there's five or six weeks that you go with, without a day off, and I know my wife is sitting here hearing me preach this this morning, and she's like, you big hypocrite. I know she's thinking that. She's probably laughing. Like, like you are one to talk about getting some rest and having a, having a day off. And, and, and I know she's thinking that. And, he, and here's the thing. Theoretically, I know that I need to have a rhythm of rest in my life. And theoretically, you probably agree with me. By the way, what I usually do with my wife when she starts getting on to me, you know, I, I kind of do what probably you do. I kind of justify it, you know. Oh, it's a busy time, you know. It'll, it'll slow down. Yeah, I've heard that before because it never does. And then finally, I just have to pull out the God card. Well, honey, I'm just being obedient to what God's called me to do. But I think a lot of us, we acknowledge it theoretically. I think it's important for everybody else, but I just can't do that right now. Have you seen my calendar? I mean, I, I know it matters. And I think we do this with teachings like this. We agree in spirit, but then we're like, I, I can't do that. I can live that way. I can get away without the, out the rest. I'll pull the car over later. And we go and we go and we keep driving. And some of you have learned the hard way that that, that, that pace is not sustainable. And things lock up. And maybe you pay a price for it physically, maybe even emotionally. You, you can do it, and then one day your body said, I'm out. Or it affects us relationally. You feel the effects of, of living without this rhythm of rest in your life, and you just go, and, and you're irritable with your family members, and you're irritable with those around you that, that are closest to you. Or maybe you've reached a point in your life where you have regrets, like, wow, you know, you're trying to catch up because you hadn't spent as much time with the people that really matter in your life as you want to. And in some cases, like, like you can't even catch up. It affects us spiritually because we can't stay in tune with God and we don't know what He wants us to do and we don't know what His purposes are for us. And you can either pull over and get the car fixed or you can keep on driving until eventually something happens. You can't sustain the pace because God has not designed us that way. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, no, pastor, it's working for me. Man, I'm going and I'm seeing the fruits of my labor and I work all the time and I'm just going and I'm just going and, it, and it's happening. And one day the engine locks up. You're like, I didn't see that coming. But your family did. God saw it. He hasn't made us to live at this reckless pace that our society has. When I live with a rhythm of rest, it resets me emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Which brings me to the third thing this morning. I would say that if you live with a rhythm of rest as God has designed us, it demonstrates that our faith is real. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. A lot of times the reason that we don't want to rest is because we think we have to do everything. And if I'm not doing it, who's going to do it? Right? I mean, isn't that how, how we live a lot of times? 
So it takes faith to step back and say, okay, God, you got this. I'm going to take some rest. I'm going to take some breaks. The business world, I think a great example. How about Chick-fil-A? It took some courage to say, you know what, in the highly competitive field of, of fast food restaurants, we're not going to be open on Sunday. And we believe we can do just as much work being open six days a week as other places can do being open seven days a week. And we're going to have the faith in God that he will bless us for doing what's right. And boy, wouldn't you like to, to own a Chick-fil-A somewhere? I mean, have you ever driven by one that just wasn't busy all the time? You go by at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they're packed. Like, you know, it's just, they're always busy. And I believe God has blessed their faith and their adherence to Scripture. And when we take some breaks, when we get that rhythm of rest, we're saying we believe in God's power and God's strength and we're depending on Him. And again, I know I can get you to agree with me in theory. Yeah, yeah, who doesn't want more rest? Who doesn't want a little slower pace of life? But, but pastor, my calendar's full. It doesn't work. And I think a lot of us, we think about our time the way we think about our money and what God says about our money. Like, I don't, I don't disagree with, with what the Bible says about, about our finances and, and giving back to him and tithing and stuff like that. I don't disagree with that. Like, yeah, theoretically, I think it makes a lot of sense. And someday I'm going to do it, but, but right now, it's just not a good time for me. Right now, it doesn't make sense on paper. And so we do the same thing with our time that we do with our money. Yeah, I want to do what God said, but, but my calendar. Yeah, God, I want to do with my money what you said, but, but, but look at my bank statement. And God says, just do what I'm asking let me be the shepherd. There's a great example of this over in the book of Leviticus. Over in the book of Leviticus, God is, is still instructing his people about this rhythm of rest. And he tells them that on the seventh year, I want you to let the land rest. Well, that's great, God. Okay, we'll let the land rest. There's one problem, God. What are we going to eat the eighth year if we don't harvest anything on the seventh year? So God tells them, Leviticus chapter 25, verses 20, 21, 22. He says in verse 20, you may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest crops? Then verse 21, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. God says, look, you honor me, do what I've asked you to do, and I'll take care of you. You be the sheep, and I'll be the shepherd. So David says... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know that word shepherd's kind of an interesting word. It's actually a compound word in the Hebrew. And it actually means shepherd companion. And so what, what David is saying, shepherd companion means he's like, he's like my personal shepherd. So David sees himself like, like he's not just one of a, a thousand sheep out in the field. He's not like, you know, got a tag on his ear that says sheep number 245. 
He doesn't see himself that way. He sees himself as a sheep that the shepherd knows personally. He knows his needs. He knows the things that are going on in his life. That's how David pictures that relationship. The Lord is my personal shepherd. He is my shepherd companion. It's interesting, the word, I shall not want, you could translate that phrase, I lack nothing. And when you think about that, I shall not want or I lack nothing, and at first it sounds like maybe it just doesn't even quite fit the passage. But when you say that I lack nothing, don't a lot of us miss rest because we're trying to get whatever it is that we think we lack? Like we're pushing ourselves and we're pushing ourselves because there's like something we feel like we're missing that we lack. And so I can't rest because i got to work for it. i got to push for it. I've got to get it. I'm lacking this, this one thing. Like maybe with you it's respect. Like you feel like you lack respect and you're going to prove to everybody that you have what it takes. And so you're going to get that corner office and you're going to get that title and you're going to get the salary that goes with it. And if you have to work all the time, then that's what you're going to do. And you're going to push and you don't have time for breaks and rest because you lack something and you've got to get it. Or maybe you lack a home, a better home, bigger home. Maybe it's a, a newer car. Maybe it's purpose. Maybe it's romance. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. And you're just like, I can't rest. I've got these things i got to get. Maybe it's a blessing from your parents that you lack. I've talked to guys that are 50 and 60 years old that are just so driven because they never heard their dad say, I'm proud of you. And they're just pushing and they're pushing and they're pushing because they've never heard that. Their dad just say, I'm proud of you. And you're lacking that blessing. What is it that you're lacking? You ever thought about that question? Is there something that you're lacking that, you, that you're just pushing for that, that's keeping you from being able to rest? I got to get this and I can't get it. it. You know, everybody will pass me by if I'm not pushing. What is it you, that you might be lacking? I mean, wouldn't it be great if like there was some kind of platform out there like, like where we could see what we're missing and, and see what, you know, like what everybody else has and, and what we're lacking? I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was something where we could kind of do that? I mean, like maybe somebody could invent something. Like, like maybe to be on the internet, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. Like, like maybe some kind of social media site where you could look and you could see what all your friends have that you don't have. I mean, I don't know, somebody might could invent something like that and, and call it Facebook or something. And we could just all go there and look and, and see all the things that we're lacking. So I just kind of made a list, like things you could see on Facebook that maybe that you are lacking. Beach vacations, maybe, or maybe just vacations in general. Blemish-free skin, like actually all you need to do is learn how to edit your photos and then you can have blemish-free skin too because that's what they've done. Maybe it's a fashion style, maybe it's muscles, energy, an invitation, wave runners, Tickets to football games, followers, friends, likes. Maybe it's a date that you're lacking. Maybe it's something not quite as concrete, you know, a little more abstract, you know, purpose or happiness or romance. 
And of course, the media, do they not always remind us of what we lack? I mean, really, what is marketing? But trying to convince you that you lack something that they're trying to sell. I mean, that's basically what marketing is. And so we're always kind of, it's always kind of out there in front of us. You lack this. And it keeps us from resting. And we kid ourselves and we think, if I just have this, then I can rest. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And when I understand that, and I understand that I'm the sheep and he's the shepherd, then that meets my deepest needs. St. Augustine put it this way. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until we find rest in you. So are you living like the shepherd? Or are you living like the sheep? He goes on to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. That phrase, he makes me lie down. That kind of sounds like he pushes me down, doesn't it? He makes me lie down. Doesn't it sound like you're kind of being forced into the grass, so to speak? Like this is not an invitation, like, like he's pushing. Wayne Muller describes the Sabbath, the need for the Sabbath this way. If we do not allow a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia becomes our Sabbath. Our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. See what he's saying? Kind of like that old commercial, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. It's that kind of idea. Like you can either slow down and pull over or God's going to force you to slow down and pull over. I was reading about shepherds and sheep and this is kind of interesting, I thought, that shepherds literally have to make their sheep lie down because sheep will just eat and eat and eat and it'll create some digestive problems with them that can actually be very dangerous. It can actually cause death. So they have to make their sheep stop eating and lie down for their own good. So they have to do that. Now just kind of process that for a minute, what the shepherd has to do. Maybe what we need to do. Like maybe we need to have some 10-minute some breaks in our life where we just set this down somewhere where we can't hear it and can't get to it. Or maybe you just need to be able to sit down every once in a while and just do nothing. 10 or 15 minutes maybe you need to lie down do you know that i find this really interesting that 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 the medical people say that if you take a 10 minute nap a 10 minute nap a day that it can significantly lower your blood pressure is that not crazy a 10 minute nap but I think for many of us, we're just adding and we're consuming and we're putting more and more weight on our shoulders and, and we're doing more, you know, just, just more and more and more. And, and I know some of you are even sitting here this morning and like, Dennis, you're just about out of time. Would you hurry up and tell us what we need to be doing on our Sabbath so when we're doing nothing, we know what we're supposed to be doing? Would you, would you get to it, please? Again, rest is not a time to do. It's a time to be. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. And if you continue to go through this 
this passage. It's about the things that God does for us. So what David is saying is, we need to create some margins in our life so that God can do these things in our life. We need to create some space so that God can do this stuff. We need to put ourselves in a position where God can do things for us. He talks about location. He talks about peace and quiet. And did Jesus not model this for us in the Gospels? I think specifically about Mark chapter 1. Jesus is going around and he's teaching and he's healing people and he's busy. I mean, if there was ever a guy that was busy, Jesus knew that he had three years of public ministry. So he's got a lot to do. And so he's teaching and he's healing and he's busy. And then we read this in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. So I got some homework for you today. Time or evening or some combination thereof. But read Psalms 23 twice a day. You can do it back to back. You can do one in the morning, one in the evening. It doesn't matter. Just read Psalms chapter 23. Just kind of drink that in and let God nourish you with that. Secondly, every week we should have a day of rest, a Sabbath. Just a little peace and quiet. Now, you know, for some people that can't be Sunday. If you're in the medical field, you know, people are still in the hospitals on Sunday and people still have to be there to take care of them. Some of you others may have jobs that it's just not possible. But you still need to have that Sabbath, that day of rest. So where did Jesus go? He went off by himself. And he didn't take his phone with him. Did you notice it says he doesn't have a phone with him? I know he didn't have a phone, but he wouldn't have taken it with him if he did have a phone. Put your phone down. He just went by himself and he prayed and he took time to connect with God. Okay, Dennis, I get it, I get it, I need some rest, I need a Sabbath, so what am I supposed to do while I'm resting? Three questions. Ask yourself this about whatever you're doing. Physically, does it re-energize me? Emotionally, does it recharge me? Spiritually, does it renew me? Ask yourself those questions about whatever you're doing. Because some of you are sitting here and someone says, okay, pastor, what you're saying is, I need to play more video games, right? Does that re-energize you spiritually, emotionally, and physically? Well, okay, so what you're telling me, pastor, instead of binge-watching three hours of Netflix, I need to do four hours of Netflix, Right? I don't know. Does, does that re-energize you physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Or do you like, I just lost three hours of my life and I don't know where and I don't even know what day of the, the, the week it is. And you don't come out of there feeling renewed emotionally, spiritually, or physically. I think it just kind of depends on how God has wired you. I think certainly that corporate worship at least once a week ought to be part of, of, of that renewal process. But then I think it can look a lot of different ways for different people. I mean, if you work in an office all the time, 
you may find it very refreshing to get on your lawn tractor and put a soft drink in that little cup holder, put some earphones on, and just cut grass. And nobody can talk to you, and nobody can bother you, and you're just talking with God, and you're just chilling out on your lawn tractor. And, and you can re-energize that way. Somebody else, that may not work. I mean, that may just totally look like work. Maybe you're one of those people, if you, you, you work in an office all the time, and if you can just do something with your hands, piddle in your basement or garage or whatever, that refreshes you. Maybe it's a bike ride. Maybe it's a run. Maybe it's a Sunday afternoon nap. Maybe it's having a good meal with some close friends that, that energize you. And maybe you got other people who are like, well, I want to join you today. And you're like, no, you do not replenish me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to say that out loud. You can just be thinking that. It's okay. Then let me just kind of close with this. I want to give you a trigger today. I wish I would have thought of this, but I didn't. I, re I read it. Almost all of us recharge your phone probably once a day, probably in the evenings. Some of you might get to go every other day, but, but one or two days you have to recharge your phone. Here's what I want you to do. When you plug that phone in tonight to recharge it, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on and so forth, ask yourself, have I recharged myself today? Have I recharged myself physically, spiritually, and emotionally? That ought to be so easy for us to remember we're all going to be plugging in those phones and just ask yourself those questions this week what am i doing physically spiritually and emotionally to recharge myself and this this, this sermon today is not about making feel, anybody feel guilty it's certainly not about adding to your to-do list or anything it's just about imitating what jesus did and it's about having that rhythm of rest that god is clearly laid out for us. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, come to you today. and Father, I just pray for all of us. Maybe there's other folks in this room that are like me, and they just have a, theoretically, they agree, and they know they have a need there, but they just look at their calendar and look at their life and they look at schedules. And Father, it's just, where? Where do I find the rest? And Father, I just pray that you help us to figure that out. Maybe it's a drastic change in the schedule. Maybe it's some crazy things. I don't know. But help us to figure out how to do that. Father, I pray that you help each of us just to see the importance, the physical importance for our bodies, but also the emotional connections with our families and stuff that we get so busy and irritable that, that we're not making good connections with people that are close to us. And Father, for our relationship with you so it doesn't just become something we try to tack on when we're exhausted or we resentful of having to come to church on Sunday morning because we're tired and we'd rather be doing something else. I don't know, God. But just meet us. Help us to figure out this whole rhythm of rest thing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.